Good morning, everyone. Um, pleasure to be here with you. Pleasure to be able to share with you a little bit of um, you know what God's been uh, talking to me about and the things that I've been thinking through and, and uh, thinking about as we go into this uh, year of rest. Uh, hope everyone had a fantastic Easter last Sunday. It's always so much fun to you know remember what, what it really is all about, right? The reason why we're here and the reason why we come every Sunday is because he, he came back to life. He, he resurrected. And it's just so great to be able to celebrate that. Um, so that puts me in sort of a tough spot, right? It's kind of Sunday after Easter. Yay. You know? It's like singing competition, and then you come right after Whitney Houston. And you're like, oh, awesome. But anyways, you know, God is great. And he's got a lot of stuff in his word. And uh, we're going to work through some of that a little bit today and see what he has for us. Oh, so so the, this is the year of rest. And throughout this year, I've been trying to figure out what that means, what it really looks like in our lives. You know, if this is the year of rest, if it's different from other years, then there's got to be something different about this year, and then there's got to be something different about next year and the year after that. And so I've been thinking a lot about, like, what are we doing different this year? And in in my personal church life, right, and in the ministries that I'm involved in, you know, we've been trying to do some rest, right? And we've been maybe planning less meetings, less events. But you know what? We're, we're still doing stuff. We had the retreat in February, right? That's 90% of our work for the year was done by February. And, you know, maybe we'll do one less event here. But, you know, the, the work of the church goes on. Like we, we had Easter last week with three services, right? And greeters and ushers and parking and food and worship and all this. Like the life of the church just goes on and on. And so are we thinking about rest in the right way that God thinks about? Are we thinking about rest in, in the way that God wants us to really live it out? And, and that's been a lot of the things that I've been thinking about lately, you know, is what does this rest look like? And what, how does it really impact my life? You know, are we doomed for the next however many years till we get to the next year of rest, right? Are we going to barely make it till we get to the next year of rest and then we pass out? for a year and try to re-energize, try to recharge. Like, what is really going on here? And so, you know, when I was thinking about this stuff, I've kept coming back to this idea of the resting heartbeat, right? Everyone knows, if you're running around, you're playing sports, you're doing something strenuous, your heart's going bananas, right? And the more you do it, the more it goes, the faster it beats, the more you feel it, like, popping out of the chest, right? And then you stop, and you relax, right? And you sit down, you drink some cool water, and it sort of starts, you know, to calm back down, and it goes, and it goes, and it goes. But when you get to the end, when you're fully rested, when you're just chilling, right, not a care in the world, that heart's still going. It better be going, or you're gone, right? <laughs> that heart's still moving. You're still pumping every day, all day, when you're sleeping, when you're eating, when you're showering, when you're watching TV, when you're just sitting around, that heart's still going. It's still moving. And it's going to do that for as long as you live, 
right? And so this church is going to move for as long as we're around. There's going to be stuff going on. There's going to be worship. There's going to be prayer. There's going to be service. There's going to be all kinds of stuff going on. So can we find a way to rest in the midst of all that activity, in the midst of all that's going on? Can we find a way to find rest? And I believe that the Bible says we can. I believe that the Bible and Christ gives us the power and the ability to rest in him and be able to still do all these things and still find rest. And so that's a little bit of what I want to talk about today. Uh, it's a little bit of what we want to explore. Um, so rest in scripture, recurring theme all over the place, right? Different kinds of rest, different times of rest. The one that I mostly identify with is Jesus going across the Sea of Galilee. The man is dead tired, finds a little spot in the back of the boat, and just passes out, right? All hell's breaking loose. There's storms going crazy. The boat's rocking, and he's just out. He's tired. I get that. I understand that, right? There's times when we come, we just can't take another step. You're in a meeting. You're in class. You're whatever. You're out. You got to rest, right? We get that. There's also the rest uh, when we talk about, you know, the Sabbath, this scheduled rest time. You know, every Sunday you take the day off, right? You're not that tired. You might be tired from the week. You might be weary, but you're not that tired, right? And you're forced to rest. The Bible says, like, there's not going to be any work. That makes a little less sense to us, right? And it, and you see in Scripture, it becomes a bit of a kind of fight here. It's like, hey, I want to do this. I want to do this. I'm not tired. I can do it. And God says, hey, take it easy. Take a day off, right? Makes less sense, but goes on. Then there's this idea of uh, the rest from the enemies, right? If you remember when God brought the Israelites into the promised land, you know, they, they didn't come in with a red carpet. Right? God says, like, look, there's all these people that are taking your land. And if you want this land, you got to take it. I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to tell you how to do it. But you got to take it. You got to go in there and you got to get all these people out. And that's going to be your land that I've given you. Right? And he says, sometime in the future, I will give you rest from your enemies. And you will have this sort of rest, this peace. Less sense to us, right, than, than what we think about. And then further still, there's this idea of the rest for your souls. This idea that, hey, even if this, these other things are going on, you can find rest for your souls in, in the ways of the Lord. Right? I think it's Jeremiah where it says, hey, I showed you the way. I showed you the, the things that you had to do to find rest for your souls, but you decided not to. You went the other way. You didn't listen to me. You did something else, and you lost out on that rest. Jesus Christ later also invites us to find rest for our souls in him, um, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But... You know, there's at least these four conceptions of rest in Scripture. And I think the common theme uh, of these different conceptions is a little bit of what we're going to get into today. And hopefully it helps us uh, kind of retune our minds and, and, and really find this rest that God has promised uh, for his people. All right. So let's get into the Scriptures. Today we're going to do two passages. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 3 first. And then we're going to look at a, a Matthew passage, which... Happens to be the theme for the year of rest, right? Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Uh, but first, let's start with the Corinthians passage. So if you can please put the, the first passage up. And here's our passage from 1 Corinthians 3. Some of you guys are looking at this and saying, man, I think this old guy put the wrong slide up there. This does not look like anything about rest. But let's give it a minute. Let's work through this and see what we can glean. 
All right, so here's the first passage. 1 Corinthians 3, 4 to 7. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not just being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now a little bit of context here. Uh, remember, Paul started this Church of Corinthians, you know, many times, many years after Jesus died. He went out, he found some people, he preached, he brought these people to Christ, and they started a church. They started together. And, you know, Paul was sort of in and out of all these different churches around uh, Asia Minor, you know, preaching and teaching and creating disciples and, and really establishing churches. And so here we are a few years down down the road, right? All of a sudden, in this Church of Corinth, there's you start seeing these factions, these groups, you know, people saying... Hey, you know, I follow Apollos. Apollos is, is the right guy here. He's the, the good teacher. He's got the anointing, right? That's what I'm going to follow. And the other guys are saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to follow Paul because, you know, he came here first and he taught me and I believed and I came. And so that's my guy. That's who I'm going to follow. Um, and, and so Paul is writing to rectify the situation, right? And the answer, you know, we would answer is like, hey, look at, check out my credentials. Like, I'm the guy here. I, I started this church, right? You should listen to me. That would be probably my natural reaction, right? You got to have a boss and you got to have a leader and this is how it's going to be, right? And that's what I would expect that letter to say, but it's not what it says, right? Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, hey, (laughs) it's not me or him. We don't matter, right? It's Jesus here who we're looking at. And I think that's going to be one of the key principles for us to understand about rest. And again, this passage is really just about faith, right? It's about who preached to you and who kind of led you to Christ, right? But I think it applies to the whole church, to the work of the church and to the work of the kingdom and all the things we do. So let's walk through these verses and see what we see. All right, so first, verse number five. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. And there's a few key words here that I really want to spend some time on. Um, and, and see what they what they mean. All right, so the first thing that stuck out to me is servants. Again, Paul didn't say, hey, guys, I'm the man here. I started this church. I had, you know, division or whatever you want to call it. He says, look, we're both servants. That means we're not the head of the table. We're not the owners of the house. We're not the stars here. We're just waiters. We serve. We bring things out for others. And I think, you know, in the way that we think about the church, right, we might need to readjust a little bit about our conceptions of of who is doing the work and, and who matters right we we um we think about you know the the teachers or we think about you know the worship team and we think about these other things and we say like that's that's who matters right that's who makes the church but we you know what paul's saying here is like look we're all servants i don't care who you are i don't care what you do we're all serving here uh, and so the, the work we do in the church is not for status, it's not for position, it's not for accolades, it's to serve. Amen. So so the first thing we say is like, hey, we're all servants. The second thing we see here uh, is the Paul says, look, we're servants through whom you believe. And so there's there's the, the second piece of this is like, not only are you are you serving and you're not the star, you're also serving someone else's stuff, right? You're not... You know, the, what, what it means here is that the power that brought these Corinthians to faith, right, does not come from Paul and does not come from Apollos. And he's very clear about that. He's very clear that it only came through them, but it did not come from them, 
It wasn't something that they had. It wasn't something that they created. It was something that they gave. You know, so the ministers and the work of the church were, were like pipes, like water pipes, right? We bring the water out. And we can be really thankful for those pipes in our house that bring water upstairs, right? So you don't have to run down the stairs in the middle of the night to get a cup of water. We're really thankful for those pipes. But we know that the water is not coming from that pipe. It's not springing from that pipe, right? These aren't springs. They're pipes. They bring the water from somewhere else. The value, the real thing that, that endures, that quenches, that, that helps, is coming from somewhere else. Um, and it's a good thing, right? Because if you, if you guys were depending on me, that would be problematic, right? You know, we, we don't look at pipes and say, oh, that's a good pipe. You know, that's a great pipe. It's got fantastic water. We look at the water, and it comes from elsewhere. And this is what Paul's telling them here. It's like, look, we're just instruments. We're putting stuff out there for you, but the good stuff doesn't come from us. It comes from elsewhere, right? And so we have servants through whom you believed. And then it goes and says, um, as the Lord assigned or gave to each. And I think there's a key distinction here because we've been, we've been doing the idea of, you know, we're servants and we put this pipe out. And so like so far we're saying, Hey, you know, if, if I'm not there, this water doesn't get there and this water doesn't do its job. But what Paul's saying here, what the scripture's saying here is that the response and the effect of this water is also not from them, right? He's saying, look, you didn't believe because I, Paul, was so eloquent and so smart and showed you the things, you know, for you, for you to believe in Christ. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the Lord gave you this gift of faith. I served you some water. I brought this out to you. But the response to faith that came from your heart was not from me. And it was not because I did this or I didn't do this. The response came from the Lord. And, and God was the teacher. God is the one who is really uh, changing our hearts. And, we, and again, when we think about our work in the church, you know, about the things that we do in the church, it's not us. If somebody comes here on Sunday morning and is moved to faith and believes in Christ, it's not because the minister that day was specially on point, right? It's not because the music was, you know, perfect song choice and perfect tune and perfect timing and perfect this and perfect that. That is not what happens. That is not the important thing. And what the Bible seer is saying is like, look, you guys, you know, you serve this water and you bring this out, but God is the one who gives you the content and is the one who creates the response, is the one who creates the, the miracle here. He's the miracle worker. You know, when, when you go to, to a meal, when you sit down to a restaurant and you have a great meal, you don't turn to the waiter and say, man, that was an awesome meal. You're the best, right? You know Right? You know that the kitchen is back there and someone is cooking this meal and someone's doing a great job, but it's not the waiter. It's not the one that brought it out. Right? And the response is not because the waiter, right? And it's a big amen. You know, it's, it's, it's a big, um, idea to know that, you know, we're part of this work. We're doing this work that God has called us, but he remains in control. Right? If I, if I <laughs> say something that's crazy, God remains in control. If I say something and people are moved, God remains in control. It wasn't that I fixed it, right? It was God who did the work. And that's a huge amen. And that's a big thank you to the Lord because he's the one who's involved. He's the one who's moving strings, who's moving things and doing the work of the church. Amen. amen. So that's verse five. Verse six, I planted Apollo's water, but God gave the, worth, the growth. Same point, kind of in different words, right? 
it's, and he's going to be a little more emphatic in the next verse, but here it's like, hey, you know, we, we did some stuff, right? There's no denying the pipe, you know, runs from the, the, whatever, the, the main line connection up to your faucet and brings the water, right? No denying that, right? But the one who gave the growth, the one who does the real work, you know, is God. God is the decisive factor here. And I think it's something that we got to really think about. You know, we do our work and we do our job and we do it to the best of our abilities because we love God. But God is the deciding factor. He is the one that is going to make things work or not work up to his will, right? Whatever he wants to do, that's what he's going to do. Um, and so the, the Bible here, look, it does acknowledge the significance of watering and planting. Like there's a role, there's a work that needs to be done. But I think this verse right here, this number number six, is really about the cause and effect, right? And, and we talked about it a little bit in five. But here the main point is, look, we watered, we planted, no denying that. We were happy to do that. But the cause of faith, what brought the Corinthians to faith, was not the watering, it was not the planting. It was God. He's the one who gave the growth. If if anyone uh, remembers the, the the marriage ministry talk, you know, with... When the tree finally came up, like 15 minutes into it, right, there was this <laughs> little mishap out there, but we got through it. You know, God was in control. He was doing the work. So there was, we had these two pictures of these two trees throughout the, it was kind of the theme of the ministry, of the marriage ministry retreat. And it was the idea of, of it's very similar to this, growth, right? We do these things, but the tree's growth. And there was this one picture of this mighty cedar, you know, like there's this scraggly hill, rocky, dry, ugly, and there's like one big cedar tree. I mean, a huge tree just in the middle of all this, I don't know, death. There's nothing around. There's there's just rock and, and, and dry stuff. And somehow this tree sprung up there and had lasted who knows how many hundred years. Right? And then we saw a picture of this perfectly cared for little bonsai, right? And it was, you know, perfectly trimmed and there was nice little mulch on the bottom, and it was watered every day, and all these things. And there was this great tree. And we're like, hey, you know, like this tree had nothing. In the middle of nowhere, in the middle of, of, of a mountain, no one cared for it. No one went to look for it, and it grew. And then you had this other tree over here who was perfectly groomed and perfectly cared for, and that one grew too. But guess what? The guy that was out there grooming and trimming, he could not make that thing grow. You know, he was doing that because it's sort of his job. That's all he wanted to do, and he enjoyed it. And, you know, he was trying to help this tree grow. But in the end, that tree grew on his own. Now, we try to plant tomatoes in, in our in our house every year. And I'm pretty sure we do the same thing every year. Sometimes they grow, and sometimes they don't grow. And I take, I take uh, now I take comfort in knowing that, you know, God gives the growth. This year, he didn't want to. Last year, he did, right? <laughs> All right, so, so the cause and effect in verse 6. You know, we water, we plant. But God gives the growth. He's the one doing the work. And then finally, in verse 7, I think it gets even more emphatic, if, if you possibly can. And then Paul goes on to say, look, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the worth, the uh, only God who gives the growth. He's the only one that's anything. Everyone else, you know, you're doing your job. There's no denying that. But we're fully replaceable. You know, I, I think... It, it's it's a hard set of pills to swallow in a lot of ways because we, we want to be significant. We want to be important. And and we, we, we want our work to bring fruit, right? It's, it's part of who God created us to be. But what he's saying here is like, look, the, the real value of the work, the real value of the church 
and the real value that the church provides to people around us is not the work that we do, right? It's not the, the singing, it's not the teaching, it's not the, the ushering, it's not the parking lot. Like all that stuff is important and all that stuff is, is part of what God calls us to do. But the important thing, the thing that distinguishes the church, the thing that distinguishes the, the work that the church does is the work that God does. And so he's saying, look, it's not that you're not doing anything. You're clearly doing stuff. But when you put up your contributions against God contributions, they're nothing, right? They're nothing. And again, that's a good thing. That is a good thing to know that despite our shortcomings, despite who we are and the things that we do, and, and you know, we know ourselves, um, despite all those things that are in us, God can do the work through us. And God can use us for his, for his kingdom. Um, and, and I think this is the main point that I want you guys to see in this passage. Is that, you know, and just reiterating, God is the one who does the work. Right? God is the one who produces the results. We're just the pipes. We bring the water. We bring the meal out. We bring the food out. But the key to understanding rest, I think, for our souls is understanding that the work that we do, while it's important and while it's part of the life of the church, is not the life-changing water that the church brings. We are not the springs of the work. We are not the, the sources of, of the miracle that God works in people's lives. We're the pipes. And for me, that is incredibly comforting, right? We find rest when we stop worrying about the results that we cannot produce, right? Amen. You know, when, when you're serving someone, when you're talking to someone, and they don't believe, you know, whose fault is that? It's, it's incredibly stressful to say, hey, if we don't do this perfectly today, if, you know, the whatever it is, if the ushers aren't running perfect today, if the music isn't perfect today, you know, did we lose souls? Did we cost souls, right? Did people come here that were supposed to receive X and they didn't do it because I failed? You know, it's, in, it's stressful. It's incredibly stressful. And God says, hey, <laughs> that's not. That's not your problem. That is not what I've called you to do. And that is not what I'm asking of you. I'm not asking you to change a soul. I'm asking you to serve. And I'm asking you to let me worry about the souls. Amen. And so that's the number one key to rest, I think, from this passage and from what I wanted to get today is this idea that the work is done by God. So does that mean that we just kind of sit back and watch things go, right? Does that just mean that, you know, the Christians are, you come to, you come to Christ, you come to faith, and you're done, right? You're kind of retired. You get to come to the games, you know, front row seat here, watch the miracles go on, you know, wait, wait, wait for it, right? Wait for it, here it comes. Oh, look at that, right? Is, is that what God is asking us to do? And I don't believe that's the case. I believe, you know, God is very clear that He can do things by Himself, but I believe that he asked us to come alongside him and work with him for our own good. And that's what we're going to see in the next passage. Uh, if you can please put the next slide. So this is Matthew 11, 28, 30. Like I said, this is uh, one of the theme verses for this year, for, for the year of rest. It's Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Um, and, and, and just before we get into it, like a little, a little um, intro here. This verse, the way that it's placed in, in, in Scripture, the way that it's placed, it comes right after this huge statement that Jesus makes. And he makes a very strong claim to his divinity, to who he is. Right? He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. 
No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. All right? This is what Jesus says right before this passage. Okay? So you know it's going to be good. And then after this passage that we're going to look at, we have those two stories about the Sabbath. And I don't know if you remember, but it's the one where, you know, Jesus is walking with his disciples on a Sabbath, and they go through a field, and the guys get hungry, so they pluck a few, um, you know, some grain from the field. And the Pharisees says, hey, you're eating on the Sabbath. Not allowed. Right? You're not supposed to be working. You're not supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to be resting. And Jesus says, hey, take it easy, guys. Like, they're hungry. We got to eat. Right? And then the other story that comes right after on the heels of this is the one where Jesus then from there goes to the synagogue and say, hey, is it okay to heal someone on the Sabbath? And people say, no, you're not supposed to do any of this. You're supposed to be resting. And Jesus says, you know, we're, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath and I'm going to do some good. And here he goes. Right. And so Jesus is making these statements about rest, you know, right before and right after this passage. So let, let's take a look at this passage and, and see what it's all about. So Matthew 11, 28, 30. Come to me, all who labor and all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's the word of the Lord. So let's work through this. Verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The thing that sticks out to me in this passage is that the idea he says, I will give you rest. He doesn't say, I will let you rest, or I will make you lay down and rest, or I will do all these things so you can rest. No, he says, I will give you rest. It's a gift from God. Rest is something that we receive. It's not something that we do or that we earn or that we deserve. It's something that we receive from God. It's, it's a gift of him for us. And the other thing that I see in this passage is that it's sort of, it's sort of a state of being, right? It doesn't, it doesn't really matter, um, what burdens you came with or what, uh, load you were carrying, right? He doesn't say, come to me, I'm gonna take off this load, I'm gonna take off these burdens, and then you're gonna rest. That's not what God's saying. He's saying, come to me, as you are, you know, your, your loads, your burdens, and I will give you rest. And so it doesn't depend on what you have going on. It doesn't depend on what's going on. It's a gift from God that depends on who he is, not on who you are. All right, next verse, verse 29. Um, all right, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And I confess, this verse makes no sense to me, right? It's a huge paradox, because it says, hey, come rest, but don't rest, you <laughs> know, Put on this yoke and get to work, right? Come with me. I'm going to show you what to do. Uh, you know, our conception of rest, again, would have been, if God is doing all the work, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to watch. And I'm going to see what's going on. And this is going to be great, right? I'm going to have a cold drink and you know, nice shade and I'm going to watch things happen. But that's not what Jesus calls us to when he calls us to rest. He says, come to me, take this yoke upon you. And, and you will find rest for your souls. Um, and then he says, and come and take this yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And this for me is the key to this passage. And, and the reason why it dovetails so well with the other passage, right? Because we said in the first passage in Corinthians, we said, hey, God is the one doing the work. 
He's the one who matters. We're just pipes, right? We're passive instruments. So we can be in and out, we can be out, and it doesn't matter. But this passage says it matters. And it matters because Jesus is there. It matters because that's where we found Jesus. That's where we commune with him. That's where we're discipled by him on the field. You know, you, the first thing you see here, look, Jesus says, hey, put this yoke on, learn from me. This is not the Jesus that is sitting up in a throne in the middle of nowhere, you know, directing people, telling people what to do, telling you to put on this yoke and go do some work so he can watch you. That's not the Jesus here. This Jesus is out there with us. He's the one doing the work, and we come into him. He's already there, right? He says, learn from me. Watch what I'm doing, and you can do it too. And, and this is the key to understanding our, our, our role, I think, in the church and our role in the work that God is doing. You know, I, I think we've said this a couple of times in, in the retreats, and it keeps coming back, but the reality is, like, look, Jesus is at work. He's doing stuff around our community. He's doing stuff in this church. He's doing stuff in us. You know, he's the one that's restoring broken lives. You know, we're, we're broken ourselves. We need some restoring, right? So when we come to this church, we come to t- partake in the work that Jesus is doing and his work that we do with him. You know, if you want to find Jesus, right, you don't go off by yourself and, and sort of meditate and, and, and maybe pray and read by yourself, although that's part of it. But where you find Jesus is in the work that he's doing. You find Jesus out with the people. You find Jesus healing. You find Jesus restoring. You find Jesus when he's out there doing the things that he said he's going to do, right? Doing the things that he said he was going to do when he, when he uh, came back from life. He's like, I'm going to take this world, and I'm going to give you a new life, and I'm going to send you out to disciple the world, right? That's the work that Jesus is doing, and that's where we're going to find him. And so, you know, if you think about farming, if you know anything about farming, right, if you have an, a new young ox, right? And then you have an old ox. What you do is you put them together, right? Because the young guy wants to go crazy, right? And just zigzag all his way around the field and, you know, run back and forth and do all this stuff. But the old guy is like, hey, you know, take it easy, slow and steady, right? And you put them together and, and that's how you get things done, right? With, with, you unite them with this yoke, right? You make them work together and you move them forward. And in a lot of ways, this is what Jesus is saying. He's like, look, I'm doing this work. I've been doing this for a long time. I brought you out of this, you know, out of this work. You came out because I was here, right? You didn't come here on your own. I brought you out. Come with me. Learn from me. Let's do this together. Let's work together. Let yourself be discipled by us. And so he calls us to work, not because he needs us, right? We already established that in the first passage. God doesn't need us. You know, he's not waiting around for me to give my tithes, you know, on the 15th of the month so he can pay the light bill. He's not waiting around for me to work up the courage to go tell someone about Jesus so he can change their lives. Like he, he doesn't need me. He doesn't need any of us. He can do, he can take care of his business, right? That's the God who we serve. He can do what he wants to do on his own, but he calls us into the work for our benefit, right? He calls us into the work so that we can be with him, so that we can commune with him and be disciples and, and learn from him, be like him, right? We, we say we're on the path, right? To, to being like Jesus. Let's be with him. Let's work with him. Um, and become like him, you know, humble, lowly in heart. Right, that's the kind of servant that God wants, and and again, it's for our own benefit. You know, He's not looking for superstars that are going to come and all of a sudden, like, with their amazing rhetoric, revolutionize the world. That's not what God wants. He can do it Himself. What He wants is for us to come and be with Him and learn from Him and do the work that He's doing. And so then He can say, "Sure, my yoke is easy, my burden is light," because we realize <laughs> you're the one doing all the work. 
God is the one. Jesus is the one that's pulling the cart, right? Jesus is the one that's pulling the yoke. He's making the run. He's kind of bringing us along with him so we can partake in this work. And so it becomes light and it becomes restful. And, and again, I think the key to rest for us this year and the thing that I'm really trying to internalize and move forward is that, you know, the rest that God is trying to give us is not a rest that is temporary. It's not a rest that depends on what else is going on or what is not going on. The rest that Jesus is calling us into is this resting heartbeat that it goes on and on and on and on. And no matter what is going on, you know, you can keep on doing what you're doing. You can keep on doing the things that God has called each of us to do, that God has called this church to do, right? God doesn't want us to sit around. He wants us to be out there working with him, but he wants us to do it in a way that we find rest for ourselves. And the way that we do that is by decreasing so that God can increase, right? By getting ourselves out of the picture and saying, we're realizing our role and saying, you know what? I'm going to serve this really fresh, tasty water to this person here that I see on the street. And I'm going to show them the love of Christ. I'm going to tell them about Christ. I'm going to do all these things for this person. And if God wills it, you know, that person's going to be. And if God doesn't will it, I did the work and I'm with Jesus. And I've done the things that he's called me to be. I've been faithful. I've been a faithful servant. I've been a faithful Christian. And I will give glory for that result, right? Because I know that it wasn't me. When we see the things that God's going to do, when we think God, when we see God healing people, when we see God transforming people, when we see God really changing the insides of a person, people that we know, you know, then we can give glory for real because we know that we had no part of it, right? That it wasn't us. And in that, ladies and gentlemen, I think that's where we find the rest. I think that's the rest that God is calling us into. It's not, again, it's not, you know, just stopping, but it's really going in a different direction. It's going, following Jesus to where he's going so that we can partake in the work and we can see the results that he wants to do in our midst. Amen? Amen. So, where is Jesus at work in our community? What are the things that we see God in doing around us in this church? Um, I think one easy one for me has been the Sunday school. We have over 90 kids over there that need teaching, that need discipling, that need mentoring, that need loving. And that is an area that where God is working. You know, you have all the, the teen Bible quiz and junior Bible quiz and all these things going on there. And there's a lot of potential over there. You know, there's a lot of Jesus work over there. So if you're looking for something to do, right, don't think you need to be a great teacher. Don't think you need to be the fantastic one who's going to come and, like, explain. And all the kids are going to go, wow, I get it. Right? Because it's not us. We're not the one that's doing the work, right? Jesus is the one that's doing the work. But he's at work there. So if you want to find something else, I recommend the, the, the Sunday school. I recommend serving the people around you, you know, day to day. There's, there's, there's needs in our church all the time, right? We had the Vessel Network in the, in the, in the women's ministry. We have, you know, Stephen's ministry. We have a food pantry. We have all kinds of stuff going on. But you know what? There's people around you who need something. There's people around you who need prayer. There's people around you who need, you know, they may need a meal. They may need some help with, they're kids. They may need, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that people need that we can serve and that we can find Jesus there. And, and, and so I encourage you and I encourage all of us to get ourselves out of the middle, right? To stop thinking that we're the ones that are going to make the miracle happen and to just be the pipes, the joyous pipes that bring the water, that bring, you know, the, the miracle of Jesus to those around us. Amen. So, um, I would like to pray with us, uh, if, if you would, 
I would like for us to pray together. I would like for us to, to really thank God for all the stuff that he's done in our church. If you remember, the year of rest came after the year of the promises and then the year of the harvest. And we've seen wonderful things happen in this church, right? And now we're taking this year of rest. And I think one of the big things that we need to do this year, and, and kind of along the lines of this, is to really say, you know what? This church has been doing a lot of work, but that's not the deciding factor. That's not what all the things that we've seen for the last years in this church, the growth and the people and, and the miracles that God has worked in our myth. It's not that we did it. Right? It's that Jesus did it. And so I would like us to take some time today to thank God for that, to think about that, and to sort of realign our thinking and start seeing um, the work of the church in, in the way that uh, Jesus, is, I think, is asking us here in this passage. So, dear Lord, we thank you, Father. We thank you for all the work that you've done in our lives. We thank you that you've called us to yourself. We thank you that you've taken us out of the mud of our sins and you've taken us uh, out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us into your lights. You've opened our eyes, Lord, to see the miracles and the changes and the wonderful things that you're doing around us. You brought us into this church, Lord, for your purposes, for your will, to be fruitful, to bear fruit, Lord, as you've called us all to do. We thank you, Lord, for all the fruit that we've been able to see. We thank you, Lord, for the souls that have come to this church and have been saved. We thank you, Lord, that you've called them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light with us, Lord. We thank you that we've been able to see that, Lord, that we've been able to see your hand and your miracles and your goodness and your mercy working all around us, Lord. We thank you for showing us that. We thank you for letting us be a part of that, Lord. And Lord, as we think through this year of rest, as we think about the things that are different this year and the things that are going to be different going forward, Lord, I pray that you would give us faith to believe that you are at work, to believe that you are the one who's going to do the miracle, Lord, to believe that you will back up your word, that you will do the things that you say you will do, and that you will do them on your own, Lord, despite our failings, despite our sins, despite our tiredness, Lord, our physical limitations, despite all those things, Lord, give us faith to believe that you will do the work and that you will glorify yourself in the midst of this congregation, Lord, that you will glorify yourself in the city, that you will glorify yourselves in our lives, Lord, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in everything we do, Lord. Give us faith to believe that and give us faith to partake of that work with you. Give us faith, Lord, to believe that you really are at work, that even though we see situations that seem hopeless, that even though we, we see things going on in our neighborhood that just never seem to change, and we have very little hope in our eyes, in, in our natural eyes, to see a change there, Lord. But give us faith to believe that you are at work in the, the darkest, in the saddest part of our world. Give us faith to believe that you're at work. Give us faith to believe that you're in Sri Lanka, Lord, with our brothers and sisters and with those who wish them harm, Lord. Give us faith to believe that you are doing the work of restoring this world and that someday... You will come back for it, Lord. But someday you will come back to this world and you will take your church up with you. And Lord, in that day, give us faith to believe that we've worked with you, Lord, through all these years. That we've had the faith to believe what you say, Lord. That we've had the faith to believe that you can do the miracle. And that we've had the faith to be faithful servants, Lord. To serve your love, to share your love, to share all the things that you've given us and done in our lives, Lord. 
Give us faith to do that work, Father, so that you may be glorified, Lord, so that when you change lives, when you restore lives, when you bring hope and gladness and joy to every corner of this world, Lord, we can really, really, really say that you did that work. And we can give you thanks, Lord, that you were faithful, that you were powerful, and that you brought things to the way you wanted them to be, Lord. And I pray that you give us the faith, Lord, and the strength to partner with you, to find you in the work, Lord, and to find rest for our souls in doing the work that you called us to do, Lord, while trusting and relying on you, that you, Father, are the star, that you are the one who does the work, and that we get to watch and give you glory. And we thank you for that opportunity, Lord. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.